1: Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solek Show. This is episode 89, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. that's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak, without a bad day, he is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work at TheDraftNetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother?
2: Man, Mike, every day, as I always say, is a good day to be alive. Happy uh, 89th podcast, which Greg Ward was 89 in training camp. Ooh, very nice. Then he went to the AF and he was good, and hopefully he'll be back. How was Disney?
1: Disney was amazing. The little, the little guy. Magical magical indeed the wee baby augustus got to meet buzz lightyear and he was very uh enthralled by him while we were waiting there and then as soon as buzz got up on him he realized how big he was he got a little scared like this is not life-size but what he looks like in the in the movies
2: mike i hate i hate to break this to you you know buzz lightyear he's not real right
1: you want to believe in santa claus you do that i want to believe in buzz lightyear i'll do that okay
2: yeah i want to believe in deontay thompson that's what i want to believe in
1: yeah it's too bad you had to roll back on that take, which we're going to get to because this is.
2: I didn't roll back on it.
1: <laughs> this is all a big ramp up towards our yearly big board fight. So, what we're going to do first today, the main topic is going to be ranking the Eagles' needs. Then, on the next show, we are going to rank those positions, our positional rankings with our prospects in there. And then that's going to lead into our final official big board fight. I'm starting to release my big board on Twitter right now with some sweet, sweet videos. But right now, before we get They're okay. into that topic, thanks, Ben, we're going to talk about some official visits and get you updated on the top 30 draft visits that are headed to Philadelphia. Uh, first up is Arizona State wide receiver, Nikhil Harry. Woo-hoo-hoo! Big dude, 6'2", and 3'8", 228 pounds, ran a 4-5-3 at the combine, and most impressively hit 38.5 inches on the vert. Looking at his production, 213 career catches, 2,889 yards, 22 receiving touchdowns, adds three rushing touchdowns, and one punt return touchdown. Ben, when we did our overrated, underrated segment a month or so ago, Harry was one of your guys on the overrated side, and I agreed with you, and we were really surprised with the lack of physicality throughout the route stem for a dude of his impressive stature. That said... The tools are obviously there. I believe I ended up with the late second on him. He's going to be somewhere around that wide receiver five, wide receiver six, seven stack. So I don't hate him. But I think we're more concerned than we are excited about what he's bringing right now. And I believe he's more of a projection based on his physical and athletic profile than he is a finished product. Would you agree with me there?
2: He isn't what he is generally thought of as. And that's like where we start. Yeah. So number one. The Dynasty community absolutely loves them, right? And like Fantasy, Debbie, like that arena. And that arena can be really helpful in discovering players who are underappreciated. When it comes to the top players, in my opinion, you got to win with the film, right? Harry, wildly productive. You know, yards per catch and and yards after contact and market share, what have you. So many screens, so many designed touches, which is like, he's not the sort of player you typically think of as having designed touches. right? But so, so many design touches for the big guy who's obviously got great yak ability. Mm-hmm. The reason that we easily can mistake Harry is because he also has really, really great contested catches. Yeah. So we see like a super productive guy with a huge market share who's also making wild catches down the field. We say, okay, so that's awesome. Well, the wild catches in the production are like two separate things. The production comes from a lot of, like I said, design-schemed short touches. Harry, as a as a route runner... Harry as a separator is not very strong. It, it, there's, there's a lot of gaps in his game, especially for a player of his physical ability. You'd expect for him to be more polished in these areas. He very clearly can like drop his hips and snap off a break. So why isn't he doing it? You know, I mean, he very clearly has an explosive profile within 10 yards. Why isn't he separating? On top of that, we say, OK, separation is important for receivers, but separation doesn't mean there's oh, it doesn't always mean there's like this much space between the corner and the wide receiver. Like, you know, the corner can't even touch him. No, you can separate with leverage. You can separate with body positioning. You can separate with with size, you know, with route running. There's many different ways to create throwing windows. When we talk about separation, we're really talking about creating throwing windows. a white whiteside out of Stanford. Big body, great at separating. DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss, great body, explosive body like Nikhil great at separating uh, even a guy like a Riley Ridley not a huge body but really really excels at creating throwing windows without necessarily blowing by corners Nikhil's effort and his willingness to just accept physicality his willingness to just like let himself be redirected within the first five yards makes it very difficult for him to be part of passing concepts where he's not the only read the primary it's not a fed target because he's not getting to his space on time in the correct amount of steps and it forces quarterbacks to trust him, which at Arizona State, you didn't really have that many better options. But at the NFL level, when you're integrated into a passing game, well, if one guy, you know, the slot guy's is regularly getting open and he's on time and he's showing hands and Nikhil's just like, you know, waiting for a 50-50 ball, he's not going to get the same amount of targets. Nikhil was most successful as a big slot receiver where he did not have to deal with press coverage as often. And he was able to utilize two-way goes to maximize his yak ability. He should be considered that sort of prospect moving forward. Athletically, ceiling wise, he can be Allen Robinson, like good Jaguars Allen Robinson, which is exciting. And it's and it's an X receiver and a starting X and an impactful one. But he isn't that right now. And it's unrealistic to expect him to step into the NFL and be that in year one.
1: And to your point on the yards after contact, yards after catch, he's at 7.1 yards after catch consistently. Got a lot. After the catch, and he, that's where the physicality with him really came out. That was the most impressive part of his game for me. So I agree with you on a lot of those points. What do you make of it that the Eagles brought him in, and they also bring A.J. Brown in, who's a wide receiver out of Ole Miss, spent a lot of time in the slot there when D.K. Yeah. Metcalf was hurt. He moved to the outside, showed some struggles versus press, but you know, obviously a bigger guy, I think is like, what, 226, something along those lines. So they're bringing in these big wide receivers with slot experience what does that mean? Is this is this them trying to look at maybe someone that down the line could eventually replace Alshon Jeffrey? Like, let's start to look at big wide receivers, and we might not take one this year, but at least we'll know what we like. Or is this something where they're saying, let's look at Nelson Aguilar's long-term picture here, and we want to go big slot, and we want to have the biggest tall tree slots in the freaking league. We're going to be like Stanford in the NFL with all their big guys, and we're going to have Alshon Jeffrey and Nikhil Harry, and we're going to have these big dudes operating for us with our tight ends with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard who take a lot of reps out of the slot. Is that more the line of thinking you think?
2: Yeah I mean to me when I just look from a contract perspective right I mean Aguilar is gone next year unless they re-sign him.
1: And Jeffrey's through 2021 that's the last year of his contract.
2: That's correct and if I look through the contract I don't obviously like you could cut him you know after 2020 probably but I don't really think it makes sense. Guy's gonna uh his average contact number is thirteen million, which to me is already a deal. He's
1: not even thirty yet.
2: I think he just turned thirty, didn't he?
1: He's twenty nine years old. It's February fourteenth. He turned twenty nine, so he's a young twenty nine.
2: Oh, so he just turned twenty nine. Yeah. Okay, and so yeah, like you could cut him in you know twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one and save yourself thirteen million. But to me, I just I'd rather just keep Alshon right. and pay him you know thirteen million. I'm really I'm very comfortable with that. So to me, I don't think this is Alshon. I think it's more an Aguilar replacement. And when, like, you know, Aguilar out of the slot, well, you know, wins with route running explosiveness, you don't have to win that way out of the slot. You obviously can win with big slot style receivers, which AJ Brown and Nikhil Harry are, but they're not sacrificing on athleticism. That's important to remember. Right. Like they're not gonna be as quick or as explosive as Aguilar, but they're also heavier than Agalor. So for their weight, Brown and Harry are both great athletes. And so it's not like you're 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 totally giving up on that aspect of winning out of the slot. Like they can both still win with two-way goes and with quickness accordingly.
1: It's not like playing Kelvin Benjamin in the slot. These guys are actually athletes.
2: Yeah, right, and Right, I really like that. And and we've talked about Aguilar and my opinions on him before. I just don't see him as a guy that, you know, is necessarily worth a big second contract. So I love that potential idea. I even would go so far as to say they were already sniffing up this tree with the Matt Collins pick mm. two years ago. Mac Collins, 6'4", 220, and had experience playing out the slot.
1: That's interesting. What do you think of it being a big smokescreen for them taking a smaller, shiftier guy to put in the slot? Do you think that's a possibility? You mean I mean, like
2: these... how Peter King said that they should draft Marquise Brown at 25 overall?
1: Number one, no. Let's not do that because that is not a right. top 25 player, not a top 30 player. I don't think a top 40 player on my board right now. And when you had Deshaun Jackson, I don't think reaching for a speed threat is exactly what you want to do if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, especially with a guy like...
2: Especially one who's worse than Deshaun Jackson was.
1: Exactly where I was going with that. (laughs) So, yeah, not going to go with that, but... Do you see it as a – because these visits, they do them for a lot of reasons. I've already brought up the fact that – you know, and teams do this with quarterbacks too. They'll bring in a quarterback because they might not necessarily take one, but they think they might have to take one down the road. They want to get together. They they want to know what kind of player that they're looking for. That's a possibility. That's a possibility that they actually want a big slot receiver. It's a possibility they're trying to throw people off the trail. It's a possibility that they're looking for a smaller, shifty, or wide receiver there in the slot. These official visits could mean a lot of different things. What's interesting is that they're the same pro- – profile and the Eagles do have a tell with positions that they bring in so do you think at all that a smaller shiftier slot guy is a possibility maybe even not necessarily a smaller one because like Debo Samuel from South Carolina is fairly rocked up he's 216 I think he weighed in at 214 at the combine is he a is he kind of a guy that you think they may be looking at as well
2: yeah I mean like I want to roll it out because if the player is there and he's the best available player and you want a wide receiver then you just draft him you know what I mean yeah I've, this is kind of what I've been really trying to hammer home at BleedingGreenNation.com. We're in about it a couple of times. Teams evaluate the players in the draft. How do they do so? Well, they have like player profiles, not dissimilar to like, you know, what the draft network.com has. Wonder where we got that idea. And those player profiles are going to be full of information, predominantly athletic testing and, you know, film study. But also there's going to be the background notes that are accumulated by scouts over the years. And there's going to be the notes on on demeanor, ability to work in a team, leadership, workout ethic, et cetera, et cetera. If there's an area of that evaluation where you feel incomplete, like Nikhil Harry is a great example. I cover the Pac-12 for the Draft Network. I've had some good access to the Arizona State program over the past year or so. In 2018, looking back on Nikhil Harry's performance in the 2017 season, I mean, teams, you know, would be going down to Arizona State to check out Christian Sam, right, their linebacker who came out. They had an offensive lineman who came out as well. And they're, you know, getting notes on Nikhil Harry while they're there. And the coaching staff, obviously a different coaching staff, was telling them, like, listen, Nikhil, like, barely shows up for practice. He's not engaged. He doesn't listen. He doesn't try. You know what I mean? He's got a bad attitude. There were reports that people from Arizona State flat out told NFL decision makers, listen, don't draft Nikhil. It's not going to work. He's going to bust. Like, when he comes out next year, just don't do it. Fast forward the clock a year. Under Herm Edwards, Nikhil Harry has reportedly been a much more active member of practice participation, has been a much more willing, uh, you know, to do different things. You see that he moved heavily to the slot this year. You know, you have to, that's a pill you have to swallow. Wide receiver, you know, big 6'3", 2'10", wide receiver doesn't want to move to the slot. But it's what, you know, he kind of needed to do to help the offense. So... I think you can see that reflected. And talking with other guys, you know, talking within the league, this 2017 to 2018 transition is something that I've heard now from multiple people. Let's say the Eagles don't feel super comfortable with understanding Nikhil's personality and how it changed 2017 to 2018. Yeah. We'll bring him in and talk with them about it. And even if you aren't going to draft him, even if you don't want Nikhil Harry, you do not want to draft him. Well, in three years... When you're building a trade with the Titans right. for X, Y, and Z, and they try to throw Nikhil Harry in, who they drafted in, in the top of the second round and it's never panned out for them, and you go to look at your, you know, your evaluation, your player profile for the 2019 draft, and you have a big area that's incomplete about this guy's practice ethic. Well, now you don't know what you're trading for. You can, it's not like you can meet with him like you can now. You know, you can't go meet with him in Tennessee and be like, hey, we might trade for you. So are you an A hole? Like, no, you just <laughs> you don't have that access, right? Like you do for the draft. So you have to fill out those aspects of the evaluation so that in four years down the road, when these players start hitting free agency, you know the person, as best you can, that you're getting, yeah. right? You have a good feel for that. And obviously, things change. You're going to talk with other teams and et cetera, et cetera. But that's part of it. You want to have that evaluation complete. And so you bring in players who have incomplete evals to finish their evals. That is the first objective of the You know, quote unquote, top 30 visits.
1: Let's talk about that because another official visit is Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker, who disappointed I thought at the combine, didn't love his tape. He's got some feistiness to him that I enjoyed, but at his size, I don't know how much of that can be his calling card in the NFL. Plus, to your point, there are some rumblings about work ethic. And attitude concerns. And he was the second cornerback they brought in. The other being Houston cornerback Isaiah Johnson, who tested much better than him. Cornerback is one of the last positions I really need to finalize past the main guys because we really haven't seen it as a big need here. So kind of working through what the Eagles need as I go through these guys. But I'll ask you, Ben, who was higher on your board, Johnson or Baker? What fits what the Eagles do defensively? And would you agree that Baker is another candidate that they wanted to bring in, like you mentioned with Harry, as far as a guy that you might have some character concerns about and you want to bring in the building to confirm that?
2: Yeah, so little big board spoiler alert here. Mm. Uh, DeAndre Baker is going to be higher for me than Isaiah Johnson. Same. Which I don't really like Baker that much, and I like Isaiah Johnson a lot, but like relatively for where they are, right? So Baker is my corner four, and he's a early round two grade for me. Isaiah Johnson is my corner 10, and he is a round four grade for me. So it's early two for DeAndre Baker, round four for Isaiah Johnson. I'm bringing up a great example. Baker absolutely has worked out the concerns. There's the belief that he could have tested a lot better at the combine on his pro day if he had worked hard in the pre draft process, but he just chilled. Uh-huh. And so, you know what I mean? Like, you, he tested, eh. And he's a cover two corner. He he needs to play up into the line of scrimmage, he needs to be protected deep. This is not Philadelphia. Not just Philadelphia's he's gonna ask you to play with a single high safety, they're gonna ask you to play cover three, they're gonna ask you to be responsible for the deep areas of the field. And that's where Baker's his tape is most difficult, and that's where backed up by his testing. So you bring him makes you out work at the questions. Isaiah Johnson is a wide receiver convert to corner who has played two years yeah. and also is reportedly really, really smart. Great football intelligence. So you bring him in, firstly you get him on the bowl. Right. And secondly, where you see just exactly where his developmental track is at. So you can figure out where it is you want to bring him in and when you think he'd be valuable for you on your team because he's a a convert. So there isn't nearly as much tape or positional coaches to lean on for his position because he's only been there for two years.
1: What do you know with this limited experience? Where are you mentally and and physically
2: with the position? Right. So Johnson makes more sense what the Eagles like because he's more comfortable in a a cover three. Now he's going to be at his best. In a, in a press cover three, what we would call the Seattle cover three, yeah. where he's not eight yards off the ball like the Eagles are, Eagles corners are, but he's up on the line, which the Eagles integrate that. So, like, you know, like that's where Rasul Douglas is most comfortable. Right. And they put Rasul there as much as they can. So, Johnson makes more sense as the fit. He also makes more sense for the value because he's going to be, like, a round three, round four guy. And so, Philadelphia wouldn't be spending... 25 or a trade-up, which is what they'll have to spend on Baker to get him.
1: Ben, I continually see cornerback mock to the Eagles in round one. If we were to put a percent on it real quick before we go to the break here, what percent do you believe are the chances of the Eagles taking a quarterback round one? I would put them 7.5%. What about you?
2: Uh, I'll put it 2%. Okay. Here's the main thing. Because this has had so much smoke to it, and it's very important that it's not fire, it's smoke. Because it's just the media doing it right Would very important to remember yeah i mean the eagles have brought in three corners for visits i get that but still
1: i don't think any of them are first round whether there are any first round corners in there that
2: are is maybe, maybe the penn state kid yeah yeah maybe but even then, like he'd be a surprise mostly media driven smoke but then once we see it in the cycle enough we start talking ourselves into it And i think that's what you're seeing happen now that we're getting close people are being like listen it actually maybe could happen Number one, it still doesn't make sense for the six players that are on the roster. Number two, it still doesn't make sense for how Howie Roseman builds the team. And number three, and this is critical, the talking into it has become like, listen, there's a good chance that the best player on the board at 25 is a corner. And that's coming from the logic of like Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams, the two top corners in the draft, both probably like being ranked in the teens by most teams and then like potentially not going and sitting around. The idea that roseman would draft a first round corner at 25 because it's the best player there and not move or draft a good player at a more impactful position is just like not understanding how roseman works yeah the only way it happens is if there's a very clear plan in place to move Jalen mills slash ronald darby slash russell douglas only way it happens and if there is then then it's a much higher chance but the idea that like oh well shucks Looks like the best player here is 25. Wish we could have gotten out of this pick. Wish I could draft an edge, but the other guys are better. It's not, it's it's not, it's not, yeah, not gonna happen. I
1: I saw David Long, the cornerback for Michigan, drafted to the Eagles, and I'm like, God, man, number one. I
2: was asked many times about that pick, and I decided to say nothing about it.
1: Trade all the way the hell out if that's the pick you want to make, in my opinion. And I I like David Long, but. Not at 25, so that's going to be a continuing discussion until the draft happens. And continuing our discussion after the break is going to be ranking the Eagles' top needs heading into the draft. I can give you a clue: cornerback is not one of the top ones. So we'll hit that up when we come back from the break here on the Kist and Solak Show here on Bleeding Green Nation. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, Episode 89, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Ben. I kind of want to start this top knee talk by qualifying immediate need versus long-term need, and we can work under that umbrella. So right now, I think the spots where we're at replacement level starters – is your second and third linebacker spots. I'm only going to call the second one a starter because the Eagles are in nickel and dime more than they are in base with three linebacker sets. So second linebacker, Kamu Gruget-Hill, someone like that. I think that's replacement level. Maybe it's LJ Fort, but still you know, kind of an improving guy that I like. I'm probably higher on than a lot of people, but at the same time, I understand if you want to upgrade that position, I get it. So along with that, You have your left guard spot with Isaac Siamalu, who's on an extremely big-time prove-it deal worth very little money. Then possibly running back, but that's less of a concern, especially now with drafting or with trading for Jordan Howard and with the committee that the Eagles run. And really, depending on the performance and health of Jason Peters in 2019, you are looking at left tackle. Then are any of those positions your top need for the Eagles heading into the 2019 NFL draft and I tried to stretch that as far as I could because I see that you're eating again
2: no I appreciate that <laughs> here's my main question yeah did you say safety because I wasn't listening
1: I did not say safety I I, I kind of put that okay in the then long-term. none of
2: those teams are my uh, none of those positions are my biggest need
1: okay so safety is your biggest need because I have that as a long-term need it's not an immediate replacement level starters because you still have McLeod you still right. have Jenkins right and then you know your third your third safety is only going to get, I want to say the Eagles run it maybe 40% of the time. They go big, but, you know, with Avante Maddox, it's weird. Do you classify him as a safety or is he a nickel? Like, how do you, yeah, how do you suss that out?
2: Here's right. right, And then that's true, like the immediate versus long-term thing. Here's the main thing, and it's something I've wanted to talk about for a while. The Eagles roster, Mike, is very, very good. Yeah. The Eagles roster is like, hey, let's mess around and win a Super Bowl championship in 2019. Good. If we're talking about 22 starters, nickel is the new base very tough to find the immediate need Mm. the eagles don't have a like we've talked about this they do not have a position they need to get a starter at they really really don't right a 2019 starter they don't and so to me it becomes which position sub package wise will provide the most value and then also provides value 2020 and beyond and that's where safety wins out for me yeah but the reason that is is because the eagles roster is very 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 good friends and so 22 starting players they don't need a starter anywhere
1: so that's an interesting way to look at it because they don't and, I, and like i said i qualified it with the short-term meet and that's just replacement level starters we can be fine with isaac siamalo rocking at left guard we can be fine with lj Ford or mcgrew jay hill
2: right and the thing is the eagles are going to be fine with Samalo at left guard yeah like the eagles are right. I, I i would be shocked like i know they've been bringing in chris Lindstrom, but i don't think they're bringing Lindstrom to like replace Ciamalo at left guard it doesn't make sense for how they've approached the position they extended Samalo. they let Wiz walk they switched him in the middle of the year and we know Stout loves Sam Wally. So I don't think they're going to be drafting a starting left guard because they don't think they need one.
1: So when you talk about sub packages, let's talk about the interior defensive line, because you could honestly say that that's a sub package with how much they want to rotate guys in the depth there. And you know, we could talk about edge, too, because on the edge, you don't know if Chris Long is coming back. A lot of things depend on what's happening in the draft. If he's going to come back, he obviously wants some playing time and doesn't want to just be kind of pushed out of the rotation. But he's a valuable piece if he stays. But we don't know that. We'll hold off on counting him as a surefire piece that we have coming into next year. You've got the rotation of Brandon Graham, who is awesome that he's back. And then you've got Derek Barnett, who is returning from injury, former 14th overall selection. I think everyone knows that me and Ben aren't the biggest Barnett fans. I think we both had second round grades on him coming into the draft. Let's bring up that.
2: I'd like to address a rumor, by the way. I did not have Josh Sweat ranked higher than Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett's a better player. (laughs) Anyway, continue.
1: That's malicious rumors going around this, this, this time of year. Okay, so... You look at that, and you can obviously say, yeah, let's add a piece to that. What kind of piece do you, add, do you add to that? Where in the draft do you do it? How big of it is needed for you? Then you look at the you know interior defensive line. You've got Malik Jackson, who struggles against the run but is very good against the pass or above average against the pass. However, you want to splice it. Then you've got Fletcher Cox. Now what's behind them? Trayvon Hester and, and some other practice squad guys that they may call up and so on and so forth. We don't know how the team feels about Hester. I thought he was solid. He surprised me at the end of last year with this play. Also got us a win in Chicago. So shout out to him. But at the same time, a guy who's even more so flying up my board than he was before is Christian Wilkins. He's a guy I think that the Eagles will love. If he's there at 25, then I'm taking a swing on him. And even beyond that, I mean, this interior defensive line class and edge class is very, very good. So if you get to twenty five and you get like a guy like a clean furl there. Or Montez Sweat, obviously his stock has flown since the since the combine right. and he's going he's going really high. But you know, maybe you see a guy like Brian Burns start to fall down the draft board. Are you are you looking to trade up for someone like that? Like how much emphasis do you put on adding through the trenches after your number one need, which you've already said is safety?
2: Yeah, that's that's the debate, right? That's the crux. That's the whole, the long and the short of it is, okay, we need safety probably better than everybody else. All right. Well, Ben's got, you know, 22 overall is Nasir Adderley out of Delaware, right? 26 overall is Jerry Tillery, Stevens a tackle out of Notre Dame. Yeah,
1: Tillery's high for We're here team. at
2: 25. They're both available. Well, Nasir's ranked higher. Tillery plays a more impactful position. Right. Especially in year one. Right. So, you know, and, that, and this is this is what it is to to be in the draft room and have to make these tough calls. To me, I firmly expect, like, I Chauncey's, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida is my dream pick at 25. Tell him. 15th overall player for me. I think he's an absolute stud. I think he can replace Malcolm Jenkins or Rodney McLeod, whoever you want. I think he's a combo. I think he's the man.
1: By the way, exact same slotting for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He is my 15th overall wow. player.
2: We should do a podcast together. <laughs> Chauncey, uh, uh, yeah, my dream player. But I expect the Eagles to go one of three positions in the first round. Defensive tackle, edge, or offensive tackle. Yeah. It's just, I don't... They fundamentally understand that winning happens through the trenches. When they, they've enjoyed one of the league's best offensive lines over the past couple of years. In 2017, no unit was playing better in the league than the Eagles' offensive line. And obviously, the pass rush and the entire defense is built off of the front four and... Critically, being too deep on the front four, having eight guys who can get after the pass after the passer. So, uh, to me, I expect the pick to be one of those three spots. I would like, you know, if you ask me the Nasir Adderley Tillery question, probably at the end of the day, I picked Tillery for that reason. Yeah. At twenty five, you know, obviously you feel differently on Adderley. I know you like him better than I do, but it's a matter of the Eagles understand. That if they're going to win, it will be through dominance in the trenches. That's how you're you're gonna win on the defensive side of the ball in the NFL, and then offensively, it makes the entire offense click. So uh, I would expect them to go defensive trenches, but overall, I expect them to go trenches with the, with 25 because that's that's like the most pressing need from a value plus roster perspective.
1: Yeah, and I and I'm pretty high on Tillery too. He's my 27th overall player, and I would definitely understand the pick and the way you're explaining it is perfect. I mean, I, I would get it. I obviously, I'm, thanks, man. I'm higher on Adderley. But at the same time, you know, there's my board, then there's the Eagles board, and I would totally understand the pick. Now, one thing that I wanted to ask you is, because one of the first things I mentioned was the replacement-level starters, and you're you're hoping you're getting that at least out of Jason Peters in 2019, but he's not the most durable guy. Now, I understand that the way that the board falls to 25, especially with the Texans right in front of us, isn't exactly great for offensive tackle. So is that why we're not mentioning it as much? Because I could argue – And I will argue that offensive tackle is my second biggest need, possibly even my first biggest need coming into this draft. How high is offensive tackle for Mm. you? Because we've been pounding the table for offensive tackle for two years now, as far as a long-term plan goes. Have you fallen off that train?
2: No, I would put offensive tackle two Mm. probably behind safety. And here's what it comes down to for me. And this is the easiest thing to forget, that if Lane Johnson does one wrong protein bar, he has spent for two years. Yep. Like the Eagles could go from 100 to zero in like a week uh-huh. at the position. Like a top two right tackle in the league and a top 10-15 at this point in his career left tackle in the league. Could just be like, all right, season-ending injury, two-year suspension, have fun with Big V and Jordan Maillotta. Like tomorrow. We're screwed. Exactly. That makes offensive tackle a huge position of need. What has to happen for the Eagles to acknowledge offensive tackle as that big position, as that second overall position of need is a willingness to move on from Big V. Please. Because you're going to want to keep Jordan Milata rostered, I'm assuming. Right. Uh, You know, like, I I don't think year two is early enough to, like, set sail on that project if he still needs time, which I'm imagining he does. So I think you're trying to keep him around. It'd be really tough to roster five pure tackles. So Peter Lane, Big V, Milata, and then Rookie. Especially when you have Matt Pryor, who can play tackle, and Isaac Samala, who can heavy quotes, play tackle. (laughs) So you wouldn't really be able to roster five. So if you're going to draft the guy early, you know you're going to roster him. You have to be willing to move on from Big V. And obviously Big V, I believe this season is in a contract year. What might be easier from a, you know, bringing the roster down to 53 men perspective is don't draft the starting offensive tackle this year. Stay with Big V as your backup. Stay with Peters as your incumbent. They both leave. And then you draft the left tackle slash right tackle replacement in 2020. But then you have to start a rookie slash or Jordan Mailata, which could obviously go fine. But rookies, it's hard to ask them to start in year one, especially at the tackle position. You'd like to be able to draft the guy and then give him a year and then start him in 2020. But from a roster building perspective, that can get trickier. So they would have to be willing to move on from Big V. And you don't just want to cut him. You definitely want to trade him because there will be a team that will give you something good for Big V because he's a tackle with starting experience. And literally, that's all you need to be like kind of worthy of something. So I think it's two. You think it's two. I don't think the Eagles think it's two until we start hearing more about Halepulivati Vaitai and when they're willing to move on from him.
1: Ben, if Halepulivati Vaitai stops the Eagles from getting on the phones, if Cody Ford from Oklahoma or Jawan Taylor from Florida or one of those guys starts to slide into the teens, I will be very, very upset. You will have to physically restrain me from charging the war room. That's how I feel about that. Like, if there's a position for me to move up on or a couple of players to move up on, secure your left tackle position for the for the long term and protect your doggone quarterback.
2: Listen, those are two top 10 players for me. Yeah. Ford and Taylor. Me too. In a heartbeat. I can't tell you how badly I want Cody Ford on this team. I think Cody Ford. He'd be amazing. And Lane Johnson, both Oklahoma kids, both of them psychopaths <laughs> at that bookend would be hilarious. Oh, yeah. I think it'd be amazing.
1: Yeah. And I I love him in space too. A lot lot of the stuff that the Eagles like to do. I mean, they, they pull their guys in Oklahoma all the time. He's awesome on the move. So he's going to do a lot of the things that the Eagles want to do, which is awesome. Cody Ford, again, top top 10 player for me. So I'm definitely getting on the phones, especially if he falls past 11, which I think is Cincinnati, something like that. I'm starting to, starting to put some feelers out, but we've talked about that before. So let's finalize this before we get out of here, Ben. Number one, we have safety as our top need. Number two, we have offensive tackle. Be prepared to fight about your positional rankings on these positions on the next show. Number three, how are we sussing out interior defensive line versus edge? Are we putting them in the same bucket? Is it a tie? Is it a 3A 3B situation? Or is the clear is there there a clear line of demarcation for you there
2: to me edge wins yeah because malik and fletch will both be on the team for the next three years brian and graham will definitely be on the team for the next three years derek barnett will be on the team for the next two Two. years potential third year option or fifth year option for the third year right um but we don't we're not positive he's good yet the way we're positive malik jackson and fletcher cox are good right you know what i mean like i think barnett is good but yeah, the improvement is a great word for it. And then Chris Long gone, question mark. Vinny Curry, one year. Josh Sweat, injury prone. Joe Osman, a dude from the practice squad. So I think there's there's a more likely bigger need for an edge three slash edge two than there is for an interior defense line, three interior defense line two. I like, you could argue the other way and I'd be totally fine with it. But to me, it's edge than interior defensive line. You 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 totally skipped over running back. And I'd be curious to hear where you have running back in terms of this ranking here. Because for me, running back would go before interior the line and before edge.
1: So running back is your three. Yeah. What about linebacker? Because I was I just wrote that down because I think we may have skipped that over too. Or is that your fifth or your sixth even?
2: Well, so right. So what linebacker comes back down to for me again is I look on the roster. And, and I, they're keeping Nigel Bradham. They're keeping Kamu Brugge Hill. They're keeping LJ Ford. They're keeping Paul Worelone. They're keeping Nate Gary. Right. So they have five. I'm fine with it. And so... <laughs> Unless you're drafting Devin Bush at twenty five, correct. I don't see how
1: the other guy fits in.
2: Right, like I I, like I'll put it to you this way: I will be pleasantly surprised if when they draft like the fourth round linebacker to fight Nate Gary to try to like you know push Gary and maybe even push like Warlow. I guess like maybe they're not locked in. Obviously they extended Warlow, but if they bring in that fourth round to be like, hey Nate, how about win a job? That'd be great. I just don't think they're going to do it
1: now. Is running back your third need because you're down on Jordan Howard?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think Howard's a one year contract who isn't very good. I think Corey Clement had a good UDFA season for a UDFA, doing a lot of things he didn't do well at Wisconsin, and then this past year obviously wasn't very involved. And I'm just not sold that he's a thing. And then Sproles is gone. You know what I mean? So like, obviously, we acknowledge that there's a bevy of bodies. At the running back position in the league, you always bring guys in and their production is is more offensive line based. Like we acknowledge that, but you do actually need players Yeah. and the Eagles really (laughs) just don't have anyone in 2020 that to me is like amazing, you know?
1: So I can rock with this. Number one is safety. Number two is offensive tackle. Number three is running back. Number four is edge. Number five is interior defensive line. Number six is linebacker.
2: Where would you put interior offensive line? I don't even think of that. Well, you're the one drafting cards in round two, so you better thought about it.
1: 5A. I'm putting it before linebacker.
2: Right. Then that makes sense. What, like, we talk about, like, long-term needs versus immediate needs, but also, and this is something that I've, I've been, like, thinking about mulling over, and it's worth talking about, there's a the difference between day one needs and day two needs and day three needs. Because on day one, you're drafting a starter, and on day two, you're drafting an eventual starter, slash role player, and on day three, you're drafting a developmental guy slash special teamer. So there's like different types of draft picks depending on the day, and even different types of draft picks within the day. So like linebacker is a great example. Linebacker is either a round one need for Philadelphia or it's not a need. Right. You know, like because they have four bodies in Camus, LJ4, Paul Warlow, and Nate Gary who like are rosterable and can play on special teams and are fine. Right. And then they have like one starter in Nigel Bradham. So they feel like they can get a second starter out of those four, then don't draft anybody. Mm-hmm. If you can't, well, you have to go draft a starter, which means it's like a need, it's a need, it's a need, draft one, draft one, draft one. Drafting a guy in round four doesn't solve your problem. Yeah. Needs shift throughout the draft throughout, like, they chronologically. So for like, offensive linemen, I don't think it's a need at all. But if it is a need, yeah, round one, round two, because it means that they're replacing Sam Malo and yep. you need to have a starter level player. So that's why like – 100%. You know, listing needs just like uh, in a discreet fashion yeah. for the whole draft is a good exercise because it brings up these conversations, but there's no way to make a list one through seven that's right.
1: Exactly. It all depends on how the draft falls. That's a good way of putting it. In fact, I'm, I'm probably going to move up interior offensive line to five because I believe oh, I believe the upgrade there is more possible than you're going to get from upgrading from Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson. I feel like you can get a later round guy, in interior defensive line that can contribute. I think if you're going interior offensive line, like you said, you need to go earlier. So I'm switching, officially switching that, which is going to send ripples throughout the front office of the Philadelphia Eagles. Ben, that's going to do it for the Kisten Solak like show. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners.
2: Hey, <laughs> thanks for listening to the show. Had a good time, had some laughs, made some memories, talked about the Eagles. Always had fun. Say that you liked it on in the iTunes. We write it, and that was nice. Send five stars. <laughs> You are nice, at Benjamin Solak, at Michael Kist. Send Twitter. Subscribe. Listen to other shows. Also nice. Also fun. Thank you.
1: We all we got. We all we We need. need. Oh, what? (laughs) Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly. (laughs) Kakal, would you?